0: Hello, hello friends. How's it going? Or as they say here in Swahili, Jambo Rafiki, Habari. I'm here in the coastal city of Dar es Salaam in the beautiful country of Tanzania. This is Paolo Española and you're listening to Hidden Apron Radio featuring the stories of some of the most interesting people living in our delicious world of food. Whether they be bankers turned farmers, marketers turned grocery store owners, teenage master chefs, and everyone in between we dive into just how diverse the world of food is. Not everyone on this podcast, or basically no one on this podcast, are Michelin-starred chefs, backwood farmers, and purely Instagram-obsessed foodies. We look at how, in breaking bread, we break boundaries. Now, for longtime listeners of this show, you'll notice that we've been gone for quite some time. I'll be completely honest with you and admit that it has been easy lately, for my personal life uh, in New York. Some of you may know that as a non-citizen working in America, your visa status is always in the back of your mind. And well, let's just say mine was in the flux earlier this year. It's something not many people think of or have to think about, and especially in today's political climate, It's far too often for people to just treat immigration and visas as a simple, like, oh, people should just apply if they want to be here without knowing and understanding the long, arduous, extremely complex, and mind-torturing process that it really is. Needless to say, I'm not going to spend the whole time complaining about it. It's all I've been thinking of and focusing on until probably the beginning of this summer. And I've had to put a lot of my food projects, including this podcast, on hold. But we are back. Excuse the hammering and construction happening behind me because being out here in Tanzania, sipping on some strong ginger tea and breathing in the coastal air has given me a bit more space from the chaotic streets of New York. Travel does wonders for the mind after all, visa issues notwithstanding. So speaking of tea and travel, I'm really excited for this return episode as it features someone who I think really embodies the spirit of travel. And with her work with tea as in the beverage, is uniting people in a way that we at Hidden Apron really love, as it shows how the single plant unites entire peoples and cultures. Not to mention, we've done some pretty bomb collaboration meals with her, featuring her tea pairings. So today's guest is Cynthia Glansberg, who I first met behind the counter at a tea house on a cold, snowy New York night. We chatted tea and travel for hours, and I learned about how she left a solid marketing job to hop all over Southeast Asia and more, learning about the world of tea for nearly a year. She has since returned and started her company, One Tea, that sources unique teas from all over the world and creates experiences, think of them like a roaming tea house. She's worked with yoga instructors, sculptors, candle makers, pretty much anyone you can think of that will be interested in having tea with their guests. And yes, yours truly in an attempt to create more connections between people through the humble tea leaf while also educating them about a beverage that's got deep, deep cultural ties in many countries, even though it doesn't seem like that in the United States. So you'll notice this episode is a bit longer. We split it in two. We first talk about traveling. How do you pull off long term international travel? Uh, How do you travel responsibly and, you know, checking your privilege, working abroad, the value of relationships on the road, and getting comfortable with discomfort. You know, this isn't your usual two-week, all-expenses-paid-for trip, so listen in on this one if you're thinking of traveling the world. Uh, We then do a deep dive into tea. What is it? How does one navigate the sometimes confusing terminology? How to prepare it for your maximum enjoyment? And the questions to ask when you're buying it. We also talk about how tea can really bridge the gaps between people by creating these shared spaces. And, you know, tea can be as varied and rich as wine, as I come to learn during this episode, even if it comes from the same exact plot of land. And so if you're looking for something that fuels a good conversation or Netflix binge session that isn't alcoholic and is shared by more people around the world as the number one consumed beverage, this episode is for you. So without further ado, Welcome back to Hidden Apron Radio and here is Cynthia of 1T. Cynthia, welcome to Hidden Apron Radio. And before we start actually because this is probably the second time that we've had drinks during recording, <laughs> the first time being like a drunken episode with Jim. <laughs> <laughs> this is a change. Why don't you exp- why don't we start with that first before we get into all this, uh, the question stuff. Because I think this is probably the more interesting thing to me. Because this is so new, right? What's what's in front of us?
1: Yeah, sure. So I figured um, we should have some tea while we talk about tea. Um, and with culture, I decided to do two different styles of brewing for you. And two different categories of tea. Um, two just totally different ends of the spectrum. To kind of mm-hmm. understand how vast it can be. Yeah. So the first one we have is a Japanese gyokuro, Which should be done about now. Um Out of a kyusu, and a kyusu is a Japanese teapot that's got a side handle. Um,
0: I will put I think this is gonna be the first time I'm gonna actually have to put pictures in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, because usually I would just do like a link, like, oh hey, here's this like food reference that someone talked about. But this might be the first time I will have to put pictures and uh Someone had actually told me, hey, you should really consider videotaping these. So that
1: would be fun. Yeah.
0: You might be the, uh, the person, the catalyst that forces us to start doing videos for our podcasts. I
1: think that's great. Yeah. So I'm right now, I'm kind of shaking this a little awkwardly, but <laughs> in Japanese uh, tradition, and well, so with Kyokuro, you really want to get every last drop of water out um, in between brews. So the Japanese say that that's because the last drop holds the essence of the universe. What? Which I think is a really beautiful notion. Um, and it reminds you to make sure you get every last drop out. Huh. So now that we have all that out.
0: We're not even two minutes in and we're already like getting poetic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the Japanese. That's not me. All right
0: where did you find this tea did you actually
1: so this tea comes from um probably the coolest tea house i've ever been to in the world it's a place in tokyo called sakurai tea experience um, and it's this really beautiful yeah very ornate very thought out um beautiful experience so i brought this back from japan it's for my little side is that the one
0: that did um the horchata one Oh, I'm not sure. No, you t- you said something about like someone who mixed tea with alcohol at some point. Oh yes, is that them? They
1: do a um, they do a tasting menu that's all tea infused alcohols. Got yeah. you.
0: Okay, so this is this is the gyokuro, right? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you say or like. kampai. you don't say kampai, because it's not sake. It's not alcohol. You could tell alcohol. where my drinking spectrum goes. <laughs> what do you like? Of- oh, I had to stop because you're right. It's very umami.
1: Yeah, it's like. The essence of umami. Umami is actually, um, it's a flavor that is new to me and something that I learned about traveling. I'm not by any means a major foodie. Mm -hmm. Um, I've become more so in in years past, um, especially with traveling, but it's not something that I really like studied or learned about um, until recently. More so learned through experience of being placed into crazy things that someone can be something that if you had asked 15 16 year old me or like high school me if yeah. i would eat i would just be like no no, no I'm not see eating. that's
0: funny because i taste this and i taste like shiitake mushrooms and like roasted tomatoes and basically every stereotypical thing you could think of a umami is in that cup is right in now this, yeah so i i don't know what you're saying about how you're so, not a foodie because
1: well, no this is all new is what yeah. i'm saying so these are all things that are before i had left i never would have really thought twice about those things or um you know and i think a lot of in the u.s at least it's kind of a foreign concept of, yeah you know that that extra taste of umami yeah
0: uh that's a perfect segue because what i was actually going to do is a bit of a rewind to where this all began and why we're even having this conversation because when we met
1: in june essentially
0: right so it's pretty fresh it's not like oh, i've yeah. been back for like five years and i remember you telling me how you did this whole like two-year traveling experience and you were at like 17 17 different countries right
1: yeah i think my end might have been 17 or 18 i guess if you had in my last little bit but yeah
0: which isn't I think, the common person's experience. So if you could take us back to Cynthia just right before the trip. What was she doing? Where was she? You know, what, what started this whole excursion?
1: Sure. So I was living in New York um, with two of my best friends in the East Village. I mm-hmm. uh, had an apartment, had a job in digital marketing, social media, PR at a tech startup, I was having tons of fun, you know, life was great, my family lives nearby, I had a bunch of friends here, but I had always known that taking a break from that life to travel was something I wanted to do, so it's something I'd been saving for, and it always had been eventually, 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 like one day, when I get to do this thing that's, you know, a dream. And then it kind of hit me as my roommates and I were deciding if we were going to stay in our apartment or move with our lease being up. It kind of hit me that there was really no reason why I was pushing it off. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been saving; I had savings ready for it. My job was fun, but it wasn't. I wasn't passionate about it. I was, Mm -hmm. you know, going to work and had friends there, and I liked it, but I didn't. You know, I wasn't waking up every morning being like,
0: "Hell yeah, let's go to work." I'm
1: doing what I want, yeah. 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 So, and I knew, uh, as silly as it sounds, I knew that I could blink, and it could be five years from now. It could be ten years from now, and. If I wasn't in the same apartment, I would be in a similar apartment. If I wasn't in the same job, I'd be in a similar job. If I wasn't going to the same restaurants, bars, things, I would be going to similar ones. Yeah, And life would be great, but 10 years would have gone by and, you know, this, when am I going to do this thing that I want to do, it would just get getting pushed back right. and back and may never happen. It's like the so, whole thing
0: about, like, inertia. Like, it's hard to break out of. Exactly. I mean, people say New York's such an exciting place, but I think that's such a common experience, actually, of, like, you could keep doing the same stuff. And it's New York. And it's great. Yeah. And
1: there's nothing bad about it. You yeah. know, there's not, you know, life would be wonderful. And that's a great, you know, story. But, um, yeah, I knew that it's almost like a vortex here sometimes.
0: Right, 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 Next right. thing you
1: know, like two years go by and you're like, wait, what did I do? it Right. Because there's so many distractions <laughs> that you almost
0: yeah. aren't aware that time has passed. Um, When you initially made that first flight then, did you have an initial plan in mind already where you were like okay i'm gonna be on the road for two years this one i'm gonna come back these are the countries i'm gonna see or it was literally i'm gonna go and then if the funds run out or if the fun runs out that's what i'm gonna say so that's
1: back. a really good point okay. funds and funds um it started that i knew i was going to new zealand with a friend of mine mm-hmm. um and we were gonna do about a, six weeks or so there And after that, uh, we knew that we had a bit of time to go someplace else together uh, until she had to go to a wedding and I had to, you know, I was going to continue on, but that was kind of up in the air. The only set thing we had was this, like, we knew we were going to go to New Zealand. We wanted to rent a car. We wanted to drive through the, you know, live in the van and drive through both islands. That was the only thing that was set. I kind of had mentally said to myself, I think I'm able to budget for a year. Yep. Um, if I'm working on farms, if I'm doing some you know, housework, doing a couple other things, I think yeah. that I would be able to make it a year. That was like my, my max in a way. It was like, okay, if I can make it a year to support myself, that's great. Right. Um, and then a year obviously turned into nearly two, a year and a half. Um, just by, yeah, the help of, you know, doing things like working on farms and Were exchanges. you, were you looking
0: for... I guess um, there's two ways to think about it, right? There's one where it's like, hey, I have an, uh, uh, a max amount simply because of logistics. Like, hey, I'm going to run out of, of of work at some point. Or were you trying to get to a certain state of mind, you could say? You know what I mean? Like, I'm looking for this one thing and that's why I'm out here. Because um, something turned one year into two, right? Sure. So obviously funds wasn't necessarily exactly. a constriction because you I could have kept working.
1: When I had left... Yeah. My goal was adventure, was something that, you know, I would explore new things, see new people, you know, kind of just be in, in a way, like experience the world in a way that I would never, if I never left. Yeah. Um, That was kind of my goal. I think underlying, I might not have admitted it to myself and I don't think I would have ever said it out loud, was I was looking for something to spark a passion in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, Because I knew that I didn't want to come home and just go know, back to take it. off the pause button and continue on with life right i knew that i wanted like something a bit more grand i guess yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah for yeah. myself for my personal growth you know not in any other way but i didn't really you know i wasn't looking for that like if yeah. it if if i came back and i just had a bunch of stories that were mine and i could you know think about it when i was elderly and yeah. you know i could look back and be like oh remember that time i did this in lao or the time i did this here like that would be enough um, sure
0: I think it's important to, to talk about though because people often travel for different reasons, you know? And I think it's it's very easy to say like, oh, you know, I'm just traveling because I want to get away from work or I'm going to find myself. But oftentimes when you like dig into that question a little deeper, people often have very different
1: answers. And yeah. so that's
0: the reason why I ask.
1: Well, I that. don't think I'll ever stop traveling. Yeah, That's the other thing. So I don't think that I ever go into it as this goal of either finding something or, or escaping something. It's mm-hmm. more for... The living in the moment, the being able to connect with people of different cultures and countries and backgrounds that if I didn't travel to them, mm-hmm. they could never come to me. Right. Um, so it's something that will be constant for me forever. So yeah. I don't necessarily...
0: It's like travel as a state of mind rather than an activity in and of itself. Yeah. Right. So what were what were the regions that you visited then after New Zealand? Where did you primarily?
1: So go I went by? through the Pacific uh, through some of the islands, through like Fiji and Indonesia, the Philippines and such, um, onto mainland Southeast Asia. Okay. And I spent the majority of my time there. Because it's so captivating, and because it's um, it's very easy to get around, it's right. very affordable. Southeast
0: Asia being like Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia,
1: Laos, Myanmar, okay. um, yeah, kind of everywhere in that whole region. And it
0: wasn't that wasn't the original plan. It wasn't like I'm gonna go Southeast Asia. It was after New Zealand. You just happened to be there and. That's the place yeah, captured you captured. Yeah, after New
1: Zealand, I think I just went wherever it was cheapest to get to next when my visa <laughs> ran out. <laughs> so I think like the airlines actually, or like the boats, decided yeah. where I was going next more so than where that's, I wanted that's, to go.
0: That's so like, it's so, um, I think for a lot of people that induces a lot of fear, right? Because when you travel, you often think sure, like, yeah. what's my itinerary? Yeah. Where am I going to stay? Let's, let me book the hotels in advance. And even for me, like I've done... I think like six two week trips last year. And even for me, I still at least need to know like when am I gonna come back. So from maybe that's a misconception on, on my part. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about long term travel, especially on like barriers. Right. If you ask anyone on the street like why don't you do a long term trip? People will say, I don't have the time, don't have the funds. For you, now that you've pulled this off, for you what were maybe one to three things that after you've done the traveling, you realize these excuses were completely untrue.
1: Well, I feel a lot of people do that. And I got a lot of people who are like, Oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. I mm-hmm. wish I could do what you're doing. But my response to them is well had always been and always will be that you can't. There's mm-hmm. always ways to I mean, if you want something, you'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's with any aspect of life, I think. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I think the money issue is something that is definitely real, but not in the way that people think. What do you um mean? So yes, obviously you need to support yourself to survive in many ways. But a lot of times you go to these places and, you know, I or anyone can be spending virtually under $20 a day. Like no money for days. Like because you're able to, there are programs or ways that you can, you know, find work on farms. You can find work in accommodation places, in hostels, um, in hotels that will give you free accommodation. I did a lot of things like I used my social media background for places in, you know, rural Vietnam. I worked with this guy who does motorbikes and I made him a Facebook page. I made him a, um, a TripAdvisor page and just set him up to be able to do, you know, marketing differently and taught him how to do it. And I got a motorbike for as long as I needed and a house and place to stay and fed me. And there's ways that you can kind of exchange skills to for survive. Yeah. Well, well so, how did
0: you, do you... Did you find them? Did you, how, how did you approach them? Or how did you... Yeah, were there platforms or... So
1: sometimes there's, there are platforms. Like Woofing is a big one. Yep. Um, Workaway is a big one. Um, those are big websites that can connect you to these kind of like traits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also would just approach people that, you know, I was talking to or kind of connected with. And I was like, hey, you need this. I mm. do that. You know, let's... So you would be out. the
0: one to propose like... I could do this for you, and here's what I need. Rather than you going to, I don't know. Maybe in my mind, I'm I'm thinking of like the olden days where there's like a central marketplace, and you just put up a sign <laughs> and go like, "Hey, this is what I sell." That's kind
1: of like what the online thing is, but in in a way, the I did both definitely. Yeah. I I did a lot of stuff on on Workaway, um, and Workaway basically is yeah, people will post an ad and say that they need. They want someone who can garden um, because they're building a garden in their backyard. I worked with an elderly couple in Fiji who, you know, wanted to remake this beautiful garden in their backyard. Yeah. Um, And for that, they would supply food and accommodation and transportation. Um, So there are these kind of like more verified channels to go through. Mm -hmm. But then after doing a couple of those... It was kind of like, oh, you need help, like, I can do this, and you can kind of just start talking to people that you get along with, and, mm. you
0: know... And, and um, it would be, like, through the connections you've already made, or where were, were, were you, like, where were you meeting these people?
1: Just, however, I if I was staying someplace, yeah. I would talk to the people that I was, where I was already staying, or yeah. if I was... Yeah, if I was going to a motorbike shop, like I could talk to people that work there.
0: Which I think, by the way, I um I almost want to call you out for for <laughs> downplaying it because for a lot of people that's that's hard, right? Like when I traveled, um, I would meet people who are in the hostels who literally like will stick to the hostel, go out see the sights, come home, and and they would just stay in their bunk bed, right? And it's it's like they would wouldn't talk to anyone, They'd take photos, and then that's it. So I think the fact that you talk to all these people is is a credit to you, but it's also something that could make those barriers that people put up like, Hey, uh, I wouldn't know where to find work. Right. I think that would help.
1: Yes. I think, yeah, my personality lends to that. I would, you know, I can just chat with, you know, a hole in the sidewalk. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, and I enjoy that. Um, I think a big part of my traveling was forcing myself and, being able to think differently about different people and cultures and that kind of connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was always challenging myself to make sure that, you know, if there was something I was afraid to ask, I would just ask. Um, Even in kind of more controversial areas, like when I was in Myanmar, they have like a really volatile history. um, And a lot of times people are afraid to ask questions about what life was like for them growing up or what life was Mm. like um, during certain times. And... I would push myself to make sure that people that I was connecting with, as long as I felt like it was in a respectable way to ask kind of harder questions or to try to foster relationships in ways that was more than just, Mm -hmm. you know, the baseline or the, the average, um, you know, small talk conversations. And you find that from people that work in places that you're, that you're going to and people that live locally and that's their life. That's their life. Um, so I think that, it was a constant i had to constantly remind myself that though of like making sure that i was engaging with people in deeper ways than just hospitality yeah um, yeah,
0: yeah where it's almost like a, a manufacturing. i mean like that's part of the tourism industry right it's yeah. supposed to make you feel like oh yeah this isn't anything uncomfortable or or, sure. or foreign yeah. uh, on the flip side though and and this is something i've become more conscious about after you know reading more people who write about travel of of this idea of like traveling responsibly yeah because for example for me if i'm traveling and i recommend to someone like yeah go through the streets of cambodia at at night i can say that with a certain safety because like i'm a guy you know what i mean i wouldn't recommend that to um one of my female cousins not because it's unsafe but because it's it, it you just wouldn't say like oh i i did this no problem you know what i mean it's like i i have a certain privilege because i'm a guy are there certain things about traveling that you're like, hey, you know, this is something that you don't just willy nilly go into as a foreigner. And especially for us, who we live in the Western world and it's, it's the first world where it's like, let's just do this. And we have this entitlement. You know what I mean? Are there certain things that you think travelers should be aware of before going on a long term trip?
1: Um, Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the biggest thing is making sure that you're constantly reminding yourself that you're not at home. Mm-hmm. Um, You're in someone else's world. You're in, you know, you're in another culture. So be it how you dress, be it how you present yourself or how you act could be very different. And that it's their home turf, not yours. So yeah. that's something that I think a lot of people when they travel, they're like, oh, but it's me. I do it this way. And that's not okay in a lot of places. And that can cause sticky situations or, you know, can just be blatantly disrespectful. Um, So I think. Doing the research on where you're going and making sure that you're aware of their cultural norms mm-hmm. and respecting that and sticking to that is key.
0: One of the um, and this is probably going into the tea now is is the thing that I've seen help the most on trying to find out like what is a faux pas and what is mm-hmm. is what is the culture right is breaking bread with someone. I mean that's the whole reason sure, I like, yeah. obviously break bread break boundaries is because once you're on the table, like those things will naturally come through. Is is that why you got into tea? Was there like a specific story on the road where you were like, wow, this is how I've connected with people? So I'm trying to see like where in this two year experience, you know, yeah. these seventeen countries that you fell into so the tea then.
1: I as far as falling into tea, um, a kind of pinpoint where I realized it was this was when I I had gone through Southeast Asia and I had a friend's wedding in Colombia. Okay. So I knew that I had to get myself from Southeast Asia to Colombia. You know, I was a very good friend. All my friends were going. I really wanted to be there. So I my mean, anyway, kind of slowly through Europe a little bit to visit some people, uh, stopped at home and saw my parents and then went down to Columbia. And that was the first time in over a year that I was with, maybe not over a year, a little less than a year, that I was with people, my people in a way, um, yeah. people from my home, people that I grew up with um, that I had known. And that allowed me to spark a bunch of different thoughts and conversations um, that I had Stored in me, but I hadn't really fully expressed. And so, one of the things that I realized was I had this, you know, recurring notion of every time I walked into someone's home, or every time I shared a meal with someone, every time I, you know, had any kind of discussion, uh, tea was always present, and it was always a way that no matter how how thick the cultural boundary or the the language barrier or any kind of barrier was, mm-hmm. uh, tea was able to break that for me. And I think that a big part of my traveling was, you know, learning how to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I had this kind of like moment where I was talking to a friend from home very candidly about this experience that I was having and being like, yeah, whenever tea was there, I just felt comfortable and it was fine. And I was allowed to push myself farther in connecting because somehow that tea made me feel better or like made me feel comfortable and made me feel welcome and warm and yeah, that kind of was like, okay, that's, you know, that's something that I don't think we really experience in the States with tea, right? but it's something that, you know, everywhere else in the world, it's, it's just come practice. So yeah, there are these kind of like the classic global unifiers of, you know, food, music, art. Um, there are all these things. And I think tea is one of them, um, at least for me, I've, in my experience.
0: Was there a specific story that you can recall from from the road that you were like either with someone drinking tea or maybe you were at at the the tea house in japan were that really stuck in your mind like wow that's that was that was a moment not the moment but like one of the most memorable tea drinking experiences that you had
1: um i think well the first one that comes by and i don't really know if this would be like the biggest or of anything just the first mm. um I was in Myanmar and I was with a girl who I had met who, um, she's British Mm -hmm. and we were roaming around Yangon, um, and had kind of stumbled upon a tea house that didn't really feel like, you know, we wanted some tea and like a snack, a little bit of something and just kind of walked in and they ended up sticking us at this big table with, you know, 10, 12 other people, like large tables and everyone sits together. Oh, it's
0: like, like in Chinatown where there's like an open seat. They just put you in the Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no like small tables. Yeah. And so we sit down and the two of us are kind of starting to talk and we're getting to know each other because we're also strangers. Yep. um, Be it that we are both Westerners in this, in this world. Um, And like four of the people around us just started to include us in their conversation and ask us questions and, you know, start talking about their world and our world. And we got really deep into a conversation about, you know, the fact that a lot of the conversations that we were having with them, if you were to have asked them these 20, 30 years ago, they would never have been able to answer our questions or have these conversations. Because of the
0: time or because of the setting?
1: Both. Because of the, the climate of the country. Gotcha. So it was really powerful to know that, you know, we're sitting there and we yeah, we were talking to these people and we were there for like hours. It was like six, seven hours later, we were there for what? such a long time and tea just keeps coming. Yeah. And they just keep bringing more and people are just sitting, talking, laughing, hanging out. And this is just part of, that was just part of their life, part of their world. Yeah. And that experience with tea allowed us to, yeah, really get, dive deeper to meet people and really connect. And, you know, being at this big table where you're just thrown in with a bunch of strangers, it was a really beautiful moment.
0: Did you notice that occurring in different i mean uh, i'm assuming the settings might have been different but that connection that openness and and that safety is probably the wrong word but you know you're able to express yourself occurring no matter what country you were in yeah
1: and that's a big part of what i love about tea and what like what drives me with it is the fact that it is this one beverage that comes from this one plant Mm -hmm. and that no matter where you are Mm -hmm. in the world people are connected to it in some way be it a different. Variable variables or different you know ways they do it there's a lot of different things that you might change but in mm-hmm. essence it's the same drink it's the same plants
0: even though it's different rituals right even though they're
1: different rituals yeah All right because um, i was looking
0: up you know how tea is consumed in various places and and from the outset they they almost seem contradictory right? i remember this one time where a teacher of mine in grade school she's pakistani and she wanted tea mm-hmm so, you know, she gave me some money and she sent me to the canteen. She's like, yo, get me some tea. I was like, what do you want with it? She said, "Oh, just tea. I came back and, you know, in Chinese culture, you don't put anything in it. It's just tea. Yeah. So I gave it to her. She's like, where's the milk and sugar? Yeah, and I was totally like, different. what do you mean? She's like, everyone knows civilized people drink it with milk and sugar. And You know, so, so from like from the it's outset, a, it seems it's like totally it's very different. different, but it's really just one plant, one beverage that can create these experiences that are, you know, connect people. Yeah. Is that I where mean, the, you- the
1: name comes from? Um, yeah, it comes from the idea, one tea does come from the idea that it is this one plant, it is this one beverage that, um, you know, connects us into being one world and one people and kind of this global unifier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think if you put 10 people in a room from 10 different countries and you threw them in a room together and said, okay, your topic is tea. Yeah. They would all have things to say and everyone would come out of it. Um, yeah, sure. There might be some like jokingly little, like our way is better, but yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. would have a deeper respect for other cultures after having this discussion about this one same thing Mm -hmm. and how it's done so differently, but it's... The essence is still the same. Everyone still has that feeling of warmth. Everyone still has that feeling of connection with whoever they're with or if they're alone with themselves. Yeah. um, Which is powerful. Actually, with the milk and sugar, um, a funny story. I was... Going from London to Nepal to go work on a tea farm. And it was the first, it, I was coming from the wedding, kind of making my way back to Asia. Because I yeah. had this moment, I was like, oh, I have to go back to Asia. I have to work on tea farms. Like, I need to learn from like the ground up. Yeah. And so I was going to start this you know, new excursion. And I was in my Uber going to the airport in London. And I don't know, you know, I, I like to believe I'm really you know, strong and powerful and independent. But I had this kind of breakdown in the car and I was like, what am I doing? Like, shouldn't I just be going home? Like, aren't I done with this whole thing? Like, why am I doing this now? Yeah. And like, is this the right thing to do? Like, all that I had was the only information that I had to get to this farm was that I had to take an 18 hour bus from Kathmandu to Fikal, which is like on the border of India. And that when I got there, I just had to ask for... Someone for Deepak's house. Deepak is like the most common, <laughs> That's a common name. It's like asking for Sam or Deepak's house in the states. It's like not. Oh my god! So just to ask where Deepak lived, and that someone would lead me the way. Okay. I had like no address. There was no nothing, and part of me was just like, "What am I doing?" And
0: you're assuming that people would speak the language. By the way, that you're asking this. Well, way. so
1: yeah, in Nepal, a lot of people do speak okay. English. So. Yeah, I kind of was like... And I found this on Workaway. So it was verified. Like, I knew where I was going was okay. safe. A lot, of, um, a lot of travelers do go there. Um, there's a lot of, like, reviews and stuff. So I knew that I wasn't putting myself in, like, you know, imminent danger, like, going to... But yeah. I, um, <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? And so I kind of had a little breakdown in the, in the Uber to the airport. And the Uber driver was like, I guess he noticed that I was getting kind of nervous or whatever. I was sitting next to him. And so he started asking me, where am I going? What yeah. am I doing? And I kind of started explaining... Uh, that I was going to Nepal to learn about tea. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, I, I'm i from Jordan, and we drink sage tea. And he explained how his mom does it, all this stuff about tea. And he was so excited. And he goes, you know, I hated London when I came here. He's yeah. like, I did not feel safe. I did not feel comfortable. I didn't feel like anyone knew me or liked me. I had no family here. And the first person who actually made him feel comfortable was this man who invited him over for tea. Damn. And they sat there for hours and talked about... How the British do it with milk, and then you know how he does it with sage. He ended up going back and like bringing the recipe of that his mom makes and making him tea of his culture, and they connected over that. Then I went from being kind of nervous to like bawling, crying
0: (laughs) (laughs) in the Uber. In the Uber,
1: (laughs) this is so beautiful. This is what I'm doing this for. Like that's amazing. Um, And so he just like met him at the right time to kind of make me feel like okay, this is a bigger thing than.
0: And it's yeah. like science from the universe. Yeah. You know what I mean, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm I'm into that, so I, yeah. I think so. But yeah, he got kind of just met him at the, the perfect moment to make me feel like, okay, I'm taking this this risk, but mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not wrong on the idea, I guess I should say. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. like, you know, yeah. it it does mean something it's the more right direction. than just me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then I got on the plane, and
0: <laughs> so you did find this house. Oh yeah, obviously. yeah, I found
1: Deepox. Deepox, <laughs> their their family's great. It was really fun. It ended up taking me though. The bus was he said nineteen hours, and it was about twenty five. I think. get out of here. That was a whole. That's a whole other story. But the bus was really, really, really long, and like the whole time I didn't know if I was going in the right direction or not. <laughs> <laughs> you find out later oh, it was going out. the opposite I, direction. I could. I very easily could have been. And then when I got there, yeah, the guy was like, oh, 15 minutes. Like, walk this way. 15 minutes. And I'm walking for like an hour. And I'm like, oh, I'm either I'm wrong or – so I asked someone else. And they're like, 15 more minutes. (laughs) And I'm like still walking. Turns out it's an hour and a half from town um, that everybody knows that, you know, that stays at the farm. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: The the concept of of time – I found that this is totally tangential is very interesting because there's no one objective, like everyone thinks it's objective, right you look at a clock, but people experience time differently, oh, yeah, you know if you go to like you know if you if you if you say something like, Oh yeah, dinner's gonna be at seven, you know, if you say that in the Philippines, like that does not mean seven. Oh, you know no. what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting when people said fifteen minutes, like you shouldn't know that that's Believe not it. fifteen
1: minutes. That's I mean, yeah, that's like classic island time. <laughs> it's like <laughs> um buses before, will say the wrong thing. Yeah, always. I was gonna
0: say before we go into the the one tea part because when you started explaining uh the feeling you got in that cab and at the restaurant, which seemed to me is similar, right? I, I really love this idea of the things that unify us, yeah. Especially like nowadays, right? Everyone's talking about of, of what differentiates us. I think that's a the topic that I want to get into and going into your work before we need to do that. Are you? Do you need to brew something?
1: Yeah, I can okay. make more tea.
0: Cool. Um, where were we? One tea. So now the the name finally like I get the the, the meaning behind the name. But when you initially were starting the company of one tea, what exactly were you trying to create or recreate was it the feeling or was it the oh let me just introduce people to the idea of tea in the United States first like what was it that you were trying to recreate
1: um well definitely both Um, because I feel like a lot of what I wanted to do and a lot of what I still want to do with this is create experiences for people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to just sell a product because if I'm just selling a product, I could be selling anything. Yeah. Um, it's the experience that really drives me. So I knew that I wanted to create those kind of experiences for people and, you know, make it, make these places or these, you know, be it one-off events or be it like a long-term uh, kind of roaming tea house thing that people mm. can come and they can have those experiences of gathering with people that they may never have spoken to. Um, even the way that we met, you know, yeah. you ended up meeting somebody else that we all drank tea together and we kind of all were hanging out for a while. Yeah, That experience of gathering and connecting with people that you might not have otherwise over tea is a big part of my mission. So the feeling definitely, but then I also kind of on the side realized that in the States... There is a very very different mindset of what tea is. Most people just mm-hmm. think of tea as being, you know a tea bag. And that's why is it, that by the buy. way?
0: Because what, what, when I was looking up or, or the same article that I was reading like different tea cultures of the world, like everyone has such a strong culture of tea and and even in the States, I mean the American Revolution started off with the Boston yeah. Tea Party, right? So there is a history of tea. I mean iced tea was sure. born here. but why do you think that today, there is that lack that we're trying to then fill of, 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 of a, a strong culture or mindset around tea that's beyond the, I don't know, the yellow Lipton tea bag, right?
1: I don't really know why it didn't pick up. I mean, we have it in wine. We have it in coffee. Right. We newly have it in coffee. Yeah. I think if you think 10, 15 years ago, people would right. have only thought, you know... That, that was
0: cheap diner stuff.
1: Yeah, that you get coffee and you just say coffee and it means all the same thing. Um, and I think that tea is hopefully is moving in that direction, that people are... It just takes the education of it and Mm. understanding that, you know, tea is more than just one thing and that Mm. it is, in a way, very similar to wine, that you can have this wine spectrum that all come from the same one plant. But, Mm. you know, a green tea from Japan takes totally different than, you know, a black tea from India or from a pu'er tea from China, that it's totally different depending on culturally how they make it, uh, terroir or... You know, a lot of different factors. So I think a lot of what I, another part of what I want to do with tea is make sure that it's approachable Mm -hmm. because I think that it can get, um, there's a lot of nuances and there's a lot to learn. Uh, you can get really nerdy, really fast with tea. Yeah. Similar to wine. It's like, it can be very overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. And I think a lot of ways, like even the way that I'm brewing for you now is pretty traditional. This is kind of like modified traditional. So the second way that we're brewing, that I'm going to brew this next tea um, for you, is this is a gaiwan, uh, but this is actually technically like a easy gaiwan.
0: Gaiwan being the Chinese one, right? The Chinese one. Okay. Yeah.
1: So it's the Chinese brewing vessel.
0: There's a cat here the whole time? I did not know There this. has been a
1: cat here the whole And this is Pablo. <laughs> she is amazing. She wakes me up every morning. She's-
0: I've had another episode where a cat also showed up randomly, but the cat, I swear, acted like a dog. And I think it's name is Einstein. <laughs> Yeah, so surprise guests on the show.
1: I probably should have asked you before you came over. If you I'm were not allergic now. Story. Um, we know this now. You're, <laughs> you're
0: doing okay. You were saying this is a modified. So gaiwan. this is like
1: called an easy guywan. So it's um, it doesn't need the extra bit of having a strainer. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of strains itself. So there are ways to modify, and there are um, you know, it's kind of a, it's a difficult. I guess not difficult. It's not the right word, but it's a. It's a delicate balance to make sure that, um, the way that I'm presenting tea, because I want to be so, um, culturally conscious that, but I also want to be approachable. I don't want people to be like, oh, I can't, that you need like an entire shelf worth of supplies just to make tea. That doesn't make sense. It's not for me. Right. I want it to be accessible and I want people to understand that they can have, you know, way more variety and way higher quality tea.
0: Without dumbing it down, basically. Yeah. I think so. So that's one of the, the things that I, I wanted to talk about is um, I myself do, even though we grew up drinking tea, but we drank it, I think the way you call it was like farmer style. You just put the leaves in mm-hmm. and put water and then that, that's it. You know, and when I start reading about the types of tea and the <laughs> brewing methods, it does get overwhelming. So for you, what are, you know, two or three things that have worked for you for making tea approachable? Um Besides one thing you said, I think was the equipment of 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 trying to tread the balance between like functionality and and the the cultural nuance. Sure. Like yeah. are there other things that you've noticed when you do a t- tasting with someone that hey, this this really works with people?
1: I find that just showing people like loose leaf, I think loose leaf even is kind of like first step, like letting people know that you know, um, loose leaf tea, has a lot more benefits to it, um, has Mm -hmm. a lot more flavor and so much more complexities um, that just introducing them to the fact that you you don't need to use this really, really traditional stuff. They do sell like strainers and different ways that it can be like an easy, quick thing. Mm -hmm. So I find just showing people what the difference in taste is, is enough to get them like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like I didn't know tea could taste like this. And the next thing you know, they're like, what do I need? Like, how do I do this? How do yeah. I do this at home? It's like
0: you've opened a whole um, new world.
1: Sure. Yeah. Right. So I think just that first step of, of even just showing them what's possible is what kind of works to trigger people's thoughts to be like, you know, interested in pushing a little further and learning more.
0: Yeah. I think there's something to be said about the more you know about something. and And this is partly the reason why people geek out over wine, right? Because if you just taste wine to begin with, you're like, okay, it's dry or it's sweet. But the yeah. more you know about it, you start tasting the differences. You know what I mean? It's like education actually helps you enjoy the product better. Exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe actually, you know what? We should probably back up because I was assuming that, that people have a baseline knowledge of tea. But now that you mentioned loose leaf, I realized like there are people who tea to them is the tea bag, right? So well, how? Do, uh, let's start with the very elementary question of what even is tea?
1: Sure. Okay. So, well, just to back up some, I can say what we're doing. Yeah. I just gave you a white tea that's from Nepal. Okay. Um, this is not from the farm that I worked on.
0: Um, <laughs> not Deepak's.
1: Not This is not Depox tea, um, but it's a white tea from Nepal. Okay. Um, so tea, in general, all comes from the Camellia sinensis plant. So everything that's done, essentially, if you really break it down, any tea can be made from Camellia sinensis. Like the way that, you know, wine is made from grapes. Mm-hmm it's all in the post-production all in the processing of how the different flavors come out and how, um, you're able to change, you know, green Japanese green tea from being really, really umami to this. That's more like kind of sweet. Um, get those different flavors. So it's all in the, after the leaf is picked. Um, the difference between loose leaf and tea bags is loose leaf is a full leaf. And a lot of times like here, you can see actually pulling out leaves for you you can actually like see the leaf
0: yeah um, with, like with the stem and everything with the stem
1: and pull the bud's open and then it, you see there's like another one inside of it and it's, yeah, it's yeah, truly yeah. the leaf gotcha. whereas tea bags are ground up mm-hmm. um, to be able to make them to fit into a little tea bag so the quality is worlds of a difference when it's ground up versus when it's a full leaf um, when it's ground up you don't really get the flavor doesn't come out in the same way mm mm-hmm. mhm So, yeah, one thing definitely is quality. There are now a lot of companies, though, that do, like, satchels or satchets. The one that they they they, they They look like like pyramids? Yeah, and they'll be full leaves in there. Those are definitely a step up because as long as the tea has enough room to fully open up, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll get more of that flavor potential. But then there's the whole element of herbals, which I think, you know, we were talking about a little bit before, is herbal Mm. tea doesn't have tea in it. Yeah. So anything that's... Anything that's true tea that's from the sinensis leaf um, has caffeine. Mm-hmm. But then if you play with herbals, herbals are just different dried flowers, fruits, roots, whatever, uh, mixed together in an infusion without actual tea.
0: Yeah. Okay. So at the very basic, tea is the beverage that comes from this one sinensis plant. Yes. I, this It's interesting you say that because I think there was a... a one of the the Stoic philosophers or something, he would that's what he would tell himself about wine. Yeah. Like, These are just grapes, you know, because people would spend ridiculous amounts of money and the way he kept himself, like, real is he would say to himself, okay, this is just grapes. This is just yeah. grapes, you know what I mean?
1: I mean, it's true. And a lot of it's the same way with... Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to wine in many ways in mm. the sense of a lot of it is, yes, it's just like my senses leaf, but it depends on, you know, the mastery or the person who the expertise of the person who's making it how they do it um especially when it's like a lot of it's all hand done uh there's a lot of skill involved in the afterwards gotcha which in the same way with wine kind of makes the difference in the quality of and like how it's handled like
0: yeah what barrels you've Um, used and everything so then if if let's say you know i i'm new to tea or other than the fact that i i know there's loose leaf and there's bag and that's about it right? Mm -hmm. Just like someone with wine knows red and white. Maybe I might know green and black. How do you put together the categories in that person's mind? How do you explain the divisions of tea? Do you go by like, oh, there's green, red, black, white, or do you say, oh, it's uh, by region? Like, how do you start setting up tea in the person's head?
1: So that's interesting. I think the way that I would approach that would be different depending on who I'm talking to in the situation that I'm in in a way. But in essence, you first break it down by category. So within the idea of tea, there are like you know different categories of what they are. So there's green tea, white tea, black tea, oolong tea, mm-hmm. uh, puerh or fermented tea, um, and herbal teas are kind of the way that I've broken it down in my mind. Yeah. Um, there's also yellow tea, which is another type that's in China, but it's... Um, it's
0: ultra rare from what I know. It's more rare, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's not something where if you're going to... For in my thought that if you're going to talk about tea in like a very, very, very broad sense, that's kind of like a sub.
0: Gotcha. What separates these categories, by the way, the red, green, black? Is it the production? or the the, production. It's how
1: they're made. Yeah. And then from there, you can even get down into the fact that like, so in China, they call it red tea. Whereas in, you know, the rest of, you know, India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Mm -hmm. um, basically the rest of the world calls it black tea. So then there's, depending on where you are, depends on what they call it. Um, there's a lot of, it's not as regimented or regulated as the wine world. So yep. there's a lot of kind of like, well, this is what we call it. And that's just what we call it. So that can get kind of confusing by region. But tasting a black tea from Nepal is going to be very different than a black tea from Assam in India, which is going to be very different from a red tea, a black tea in China. Gotcha. Taste-wise. Because, because the difference the is the production, right? Right. Within the production, but also the tower, um, the varietal of the leaf um, will kind of make a difference. Gotcha. Um, and so a lot of other factors. But so location will also make kind of difference. So you can talk about black tea, and there's still a vast difference. Right. Um, but you're closer, you know, you're, you're... Yeah,
0: no, I think if we stick to the categories, first of all, like the red, uh, slash black, green, what, um, when you say production is what differentiates those... What do you mean by that? Is it the amount of time you roast it? Is it you know what I mean like? So it oh, depends.
1: So sometimes okay. it depends on it depends on which you know style of tea you're talking about. So yeah. sometimes it's when yeah how long it withers for if it withers at all or if you know they just um, you know, kill all the enzymes to start off with mm-hmm. um, if it's roasted if it's you know there's just different steps. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so so let's uh, let's do like a quick run through. So like green tea, how would you explain what a green tea is?
1: So green tea um, the the enzymes are immediately killed, so it's actually the freshest. Well, not freshest. It's the, it's the closest to taste to the leaf the itself. Leaf itself gotcha. So they pick it, and then they immediately take it, and they use very, very, very high heat, mm-hmm. and they kill all of the enzymes to stop the fermentation process. So that keeps it very, very green, um, literally in taste and color. But that's even something that is done differently say like let's talk about just the two main like green tea players are japan and china sure so japan steams their tea Mm -hmm. that will give a different flavor profile than in china where they pan fry it right so even just the way that they do that one step Mm -hmm. totally changes the flavor
0: the goal though is to get rid of the the naturally occurring enzymes to stop the fermentation and that's what Generally what a green tea is then, yep. right? So what's the next?
1: So then, after that out, would be like white tea would be like a little bit more. Um, they leave it out a little bit longer to wilt. Um, so there's like a fermentation scale. So basically okay. green tea is like the start of the ferment, like the least fermented. Yeah. And then all the way down the line is black tea, which is the most fermented.
0: So can is it safe for someone to say when they're thinking about these categories that it's a scale of fermentation? Or would that be like?
1: Kind of. It's okay. a really like it's a really in-depth conversation to get into the idea of fermentation. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of times, sometimes the word fermentation is used, but it's really oxidation is what they really mean. Mm. There's a lot of like, you know, the in tea, the word fermentation is used. Um, But yeah, so the different categories kind of can be broken down into how oxidized or fermented they are. So then you get to the end, which is like black tea, which means that, Basically, if you I kind of like try to relate it to like an apple, yeah. so if you're you know a fresh apple is like a you're able to like preserve that. That's like green tea, yeah. and if you let cut it and you let it sit out and it starts to wilt and get kind of brown on top, that's black tea.
0: Would you uh, do black teas have a stronger flavor than the green?
1: Well, that's hard to say because it's stronger in different ways,
0: right? And so the basically these questions are now the things that I would naturally hear people talk about with with tea, or even like you know with wine when people make these like broad generalizations, like oh, red wine goes with red meat and white wine goes with white meat. I'm like, oh, well, not not necessarily. So when someone says like oh, I don't drink black tea or red tea because they have a stronger flavor than green, is that an overgeneralization then? Definitely. Okay. So so what 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 um. Uh, what would something more accurate be to say when you're describing the flavors of green? Would you basically say, if you want something that tastes closer to the leaf, which is like grassier, or more vegetal, I think, go for green? So,
1: I think sometimes, like, maybe... Let me think about this. So, if... I would probably go more towards, like, the tasting notes. But mm. I also think that it needs to be thought and understood that, like, you can say that black tea might be too harsh for you. Mm. Um, but you might just be thinking of one, you know, bag of black tea that you've had one time at, like, a restaurant that overbrewed it and it wasn't the way that it could be. Yeah. But there's also, like, in China, red tea is actually quite light and sweet. It's not very heavy in body. That's totally different than if you have, like, an Indian black tea yeah. um, or, like, an African black tea, which is really, like, thick and heavy in, in body. And so that might be – someone might have only had an experience with, like, a Kenyan black tea.
0: Is that because of the varietal of the terroir That's or is it both. because they their, yeah. their production method is completely different?
1: No, it's because of the varietals in the terroir in that, in that sense. So that would be, you know, a totally different experience. So then it would be hard to say, like, oh, I don't like black tea and then try a Chinese black tea and you're like, this isn't black tea. It's totally different. Yeah. So, it gets kind of fuzzy with like location, also, and kind of. I think I think part of it. it
0: I mean, it, I think someone can say like, "Oh, that's so intimidating," but it also means you have more options to play with.
1: Oh, there's so much, right? To because
0: that means that if you didn't like this particular black tea, it might. It, it just means that you have an opportunity to actually like it because there's other black there's teas, other types, yeah. So, um, uh, I think the point I was trying to make, in a very circum circumspect way, is that you know, don't generalize. Yeah. you're listening to hidden apron radio produced by myself paulo española and ricky ho just two ordinary guys trying to break bread and break boundaries thoughts musings ever just wanted to rant at us do let us know at hidden at gmail.com or at hidden underscore apron on both twitter and instagram back to the show So if yes. someone were to walk into a store and they're like, you know what? I, I don't really know what I want. What are the types of questions they should be asking the the shop owner so that they can give them the correct recommendation?
1: Um, a lot of times I will, if I'm talking to someone and trying to figure out what they'd like, I kind of just start throwing out um, maybe like trigger words for them. Like mm-hmm. if they like something that's nutty or grassy or sweet or vegetal or um you know just kind of throwing out these words and the ones tasting that notes like, basically yeah the ones that they pull on then I'm like okay then I'm gonna lead them into you know if they say they like something that's grassy or something that's like really bright and like airy I'll yeah. lead them more towards like greens or whites or something like that or if right. they're like I love you know I love really really nutty then maybe they're you know they're better off to try like a, a new long or something like different kinds of
0: got you so it's not um you don't go like uh what are you going to use this tea for? Because I've also heard people, maybe I keep using the wine analogy, right? If people are like, are you going to be eating this with anything, you know? So do you do you also ask those questions or is it primarily first the, the tea? Um, because the idea of pairing tea with food is, isn't as common as the wine.
1: So pairing tea with food is definitely not as common in wine. It's okay. something that like I personally love exploring.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I
1: think that there's a lot that can be done with that. That's not really a thing. Yeah. Um, But I don't necessarily think, I mean, the only tea that really comes to mind when I think is like with food is hojicha. It's like a roasted um, Japanese tea that's like very traditionally served at the end of a meal. Yeah. And so, but I think in that respect, I might, I might think if someone wanted to say like, I'm trying to find a tea at night. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that will calm me down or I'm trying to find a tea that like, you know, is something that I can, and this is like kind of a, a hard thing to say, but to like replace coffee. A lot of people will say that to me. They're like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get off coffee. Like what kind of tea would be good for me? Right. So maybe thinking about con- like caffeine content or when you're going to be drinking it would yeah. probably be better than what you're going to be drinking it with.
0: Yeah. And so the reason I asked that is because I think there's a lot of lost opportunities, not just in tea, but in in hospitality in general for you to get what you're actually looking for simply because the wrong question was asked right because it, it, for example if i'm at a restaurant and i see people saying um oh you have this item on the menu let's say like shrimp scampi mm-hmm. and people will ask the waiter like is it good like, yeah. that's a horrible question it's to ask, totally right? Because yeah. it takes a very rare waiter to say, actually, I wouldn't get it tonight because the shrimps came two days ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you should have asked like something like, oh, um, you know, what's your most popular or what aren't people, what's underrated or, hey, I'm really into spicy. What do you have? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, what are good questions that someone should be asking of someone who does know about their tea so that they can get the right recommendation? I think the one you said about tasting notes. Yeah. Um, yeah is a good one and also caffeine is what I'm getting at are there other questions that people should be asking
1: I think one question that's I get often that's hard and I'm not saying don't ask it but when someone's like what's your favorite tea yeah it's a very hard question because it depends for me or for a lot of people it depends on like what mood you're in or like what (sighs) time of year it is or like I mean, that's another thing, too. Seasonality is a big thing. Yeah. Like, I drink a lot of pueres and, like, darker, heavier teas in the wintertime. Right. And green teas and light teas are, you know, more when it's, like, warm out. Um,
0: yeah. It's like being asked, like, what's your favorite food for me? I'm like, I, I-, I don't yes. know. Like- it's
1: a- or, like, when I was traveling, I came home and everyone would be like, oh, what was your favorite country? And it's like, oh, that's, like, asking me, like, what my favorite child is. Like, I can't answer <laughs> this. But it's also a fair question because, yeah. you know, it's a conversation starter to kind of get people to start talking. So, yeah, I guess intention of use is, is a part of it. Um, but I would probably say, yeah, tasting notes. Tasting
0: notes first. Okay, so let's say that this person now has their tea in hand. They they go home and they're about to make it. What are two or three things that you've seen people do the most that ruins a tea? Or like, man, if you, you know what I mean? Like the reason you had a bad experience was because you did X, Y, Z.
1: So I think one thing, which also is why you heard just me like clanking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, water temperature is a big thing and it's something that you actually do need to pay attention you to. You don't
0: just boil the water. Um,
1: you can not with depending on what tea it is, okay. depends on how hot or cold the water should be. Um so if you have a a really nice green tea and you boil it, you use it with boiling hot water, it's gonna be really astringent and bitter and it's not gonna taste very good. And you're gonna lose oh. all of that like umami and kind of the floral or the nutty or whatever it kind of those notes are yeah. will just be burnt out that's i would probably say what the biggest thing to take people do is like just boil water and be done some teas it's fine with like a lot of teas you know using boiling or like right as it finishes boiling water is is the move mm-hmm. um but making sure that you're you know conscious of that and checking on you know, most brands will give you a little brewing instructions. Yeah, I've seen those in so, the back, but
0: it's just like something that I've never really followed because when I'm boiling in a tea kettle,
1: I don't, what, I don't know I don't know, you know what I yeah. mean?
0: So um, does a person then need a thermometer of some sort or?
1: Um, a lot of it can go by just like feel. Okay. Which comes with, you know, doing it and learning. But I would say... If you really want to get into it, like the big move is to get a kettle like the one that I have that has the temperature on it.
0: Yeah. What's um, that one? By the way, I'll include a link in the show notes if you um, want to buy it.
1: It's the Bonavita. It's okay. amazing. It's the gooseneck one. Um, the gooseneck is this gorgeous little bit that makes it really easy to pour. Yeah. Um, they're on Amazon for like not, you know, I think it's like 60 bucks or something. They're actually pretty affordable. Because you
0: could set the temperature to boil too. So you can
1: set the temperature to whatever you want it to be. Um, got you yeah
0: and if you didn't have one if you were just boiling at home what would you let's say that you didn't have this right now I would go by touch okay so
1: i would go by um i would pour so say i was making uh, a green tea that needs to be kind of more like at a a lower temperature Mm -hmm. um like an 80 that i would pour it out into like a, a pitcher or like a bowl and i would let it sit and then kind of touch it and if I could touch it and I'm like, oh, that's hot, but I'm not, boil I'm not, like, hurt by it. Yeah. That would be when I would use it. Got you. Because um, I can already hear the ends. inevitable
0: question of, like, people going, like, what did they use before? They didn't have thermometers, right?
1: Yeah. But a lot of times, I mean, and this is just to get the best, most potential out of, you know, sure. tea. But that's when I think a lot of people. But then at the same time, I mean, look, sometimes I have a friend who says that her mom she brought really, really, really nice Japanese green tea home for her from Japan, mm-hmm. and her mom boils, uses boiling hot water, and leaves it brewing for 15 minutes, and drinks it, and she likes it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what the correct way to do it or the right temperature to yeah. use it is, if you like what you're doing, do that.
0: Yeah. Perhaps so, it was a, ba- a bad question. It's more so. Um, I think. I think the question should have been how. What are things to consider if you want the tea to taste? x yes right so if you wanted to taste closest to what it should have been consider water temperature yeah. or something and like also
1: that. quality of water is a really big thing um what do you mean so like water obviously always has different phs yeah. um and so having a really neutral water is like best like spring water is essentially the best mm-hmm. um but what i mean tea is what like 95 percent water yeah so having good water makes good tea um so if you were to go to your tap and get water out of your tap and you taste it and it's kind of metallic or it's kind of, you know, your, your tap water is not something that you would drink on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, or you notice a, a texture or taste to the water that's not even. Yeah. That will affect the way that your tea tastes. Got you. Um, so actually it's interesting. So like I brought tea from from my tea to mm-hmm. my friends when I was in L.A. And I was using the L.A. tap water and I was like, oh, it's so weird. This tastes different like, it's kind of flat. It doesn't taste the way that it should. It's not as bright. And I was like in my mind, you know, making up all these like.
0: Excuses for it. Like,
1: or just like of why that might be. Yeah. And then it kind of clicked and I was like, oh, I didn't even think about it. I just used tap water. That's not like, <laughs> it's not going to work right. Yeah. It's going to taste different because it's different tap water. So filtered water does help to make sure that it's, you know, at its peak.
0: Okay. So we talked about getting to the store, buying your first teas, brewing it and enjoying it. Anything else that I might have missed? Because for me, once I've drank the tea, I'm like, I'm good. You know what I mean? Um, I never really considered what happens after, but am I missing something else along that spectrum of the, the I, tea experience? I
1: think, yeah, I think, well, I think one thing that, the first thing that I think of is that a lot of people don't realize is that if you're using high quality tea, you can re steep it. Like, don't throw those leaves out. You spent money on them. Like, How many times? them. It depends on the tea. Um, but a lot of times, three to four times, you can reuse them. And those still have, you know, a lot of good taste to it. Sometimes by like the fourth. But a lot of times, it depends on the tea and the way that you brew it, um, you'll get different notes that come out in the second and third brew. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're drinking like a pu tea that's a cake and it's it's kind of pressed together. By the way, um, for people
0: listening, the, when when Cynthia's saying cake, it's like literally a disc of pressed leaves together and not an actual...
1: Not like a flower cake, cake <laughs> made of
0: puer leaves. They
1: press it into this what they call a cake, and I'm using my hands to smush right now. Yeah. And you guys can't see me, so that doesn't help. But um, yeah, they basically press it together to make these like kind of frisbee discs, and you have to cut them off. And at first, the first brew will be you know more aroma and more like the leaves just starting to open up, mm-hmm. and then they also need to start to like break apart. So when the leaves start to open up more, you'll actually get more flavor out of like the second or third brew. With most tea, actually, not just flavors. Yep. um, you'll get different flavors. So it's becomes more of a journey of taste when you do rebrew it. Um, actually,
0: the, the taste change. I did notice that when I was doing a tea tasting out in, in Flushing is that the the taste does change, and yeah. that there's it's not just oh you're trying to squeeze every last drop. It's more like no, it's an actual different yes. experience with each yeah. cup that's not so subtle it's like it doesn't take a super tester to to notice these differences okay so we talked about buying the tea experiencing it and and extending that experience this is more of a philosophical question and we kind of talked about it earlier when we compared it to like coffee Mm -hmm. and and wine but do you think that there is a place for tea in a place like new york because when 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 people think of tea even though it has caffeine I think there's this this connotation that tea is like a relaxing thing. And espresso and coffee is like yeah, you know, we're go go go. Even though that's not necessarily true, right? You yeah. like we drink coffee, um, when I was in and traveling Europe, it's like at the end of a meal, even at like the middle of the night, like oh so right. this is the yeah, end of the it's meal. Part of your thing. Yeah. Um do you think there is a place for tea in a place like New York?
1: So definitely, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think in a lot of different ways. I think a big thing too with tea is And kind of my approach to it and the way that I see it um, is also the social aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you can, you know, coffee, you can't really sit around for a couple hours and continue to drink coffee or else everyone's going to lose their minds. (laughs) But you can sit around and drink tea for hours and chat and talk and connect. And, you know, it's right. It's in a way. It's in a way like an interesting social alternative to going to a bar. Kind of. Yes. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, Yes. But if you want to be social and you want to go out, but you don't want to go to like a loud bar, you don't want to go to, you know, a place where you have to drink alcohol, having tea as this kind of social gathering space, um, I think could be a really, really interesting alternative for a place like New York or a metropolitan city um, where people want to be out of their house. They want to do things. They want to be social. It's another way to do that.
0: I think that's, um, it actually gives a, a wider spectrum of enjoyment because when I think of, okay, like let's say cocktails, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to a nice speakeasy or a lounge, just quieter yeah. where you're spending $15 a drink. It's very hard to find a bar to socialize in where you could still hear the other person. Yeah. On the other hand, coffee, if, it, and I guess for the the Tinder crowd, it works for them. Cause once you're done with your coffee, like you could end it like a particularly bad date. But for the sure. most part, if people are gathering over coffee, once your coffee's done, you're done, you're done. Yeah. Right. So I think tea gives you that, extend the experience when especially if you're catching up with people and conversations rarely ever just go for half an hour. Yeah. Like tea can let you extend as many times as you want without yeah. going crazy.
1: Um yeah, which I think is a is a very needed social scene in New York. Yeah. Um and I also think that there is a place for it in the sense of we are here we're one of, you know, the most culturally diverse cities in metropolitans in the u.s if not in the world yeah um and the fact that so many people do have a connection to this that they it gives them kind of a sense of their home to be able to have tea in all these different ways what would be Um, like the
0: perfect perfect let's say if you you know i think like for me if someone asked like what would be the perfect dinner for you like i have my ideas but if you had to have your perfect tea experience what would it look like who would be at the table what would you guys be drinking (laughs)
1: i think my answer would be that i don't know because i would not want to know i would want it to be something that was like a surprise like i Ah. wouldn't want to know who was there because part of it to me would be learning about you know whoever it is that happens to be there yeah um if i had given you like oh i want xyz type of people to be around me then Mm -hmm. i think that kind of ruins the whole idea of like okay it could be anyone and you're gonna gather and connect in ways that would be a surprise. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
0: is that what your ideal events would be then for One Tea?
1: In a way, yeah. Okay. Um, my kind of goal with One Tea being this like roaming tea house um, is to create spaces where people do feel comfortable to be, you know, to chat with people that they might not have otherwise. A very welcoming place um, that people are gathering over tea. For sure. But yeah. I also think that the element of learning more about tea and the education side of it is also really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that, like, sure, you can sit down and meet all these people and you're having this experience, but you're also learning about, you know, the leaf and what you're drinking and having this kind of culinary experience um, at the same time that you're having this social experience. Yeah. Um, so those two kind of hand-in-hand are what I'm trying to create as far as experience-wise. But very comfortable in all Yeah,
0: aspects. I, and that's a lot harder than then we're making it seem because even when we talk about, like, approachability and trying to blend that with education, right? Because mm-hmm. you could go totally super, super comfortable, but then totally miss out on, like, if every if I was serving cocktails and everyone's drunk as hell, they don't care yeah. about the food, that could happen. At the same time, if I'm, like, way too heady.
1: Because yeah. I've done both. Yes. If you go way too heady, and it's then people hard. are it's, like, oh, it's, that's it's, a little
0: too bougie, right? Yes.
1: it's definitely a fine line. And um, even the way that you talk about tea, you know, it depends on the crowd and who's there because it depends on how deep people want to get you know yeah. you can get really nerdy on it and like like have people pulling out you know very specific notes or very specific you know testing in different you know having the same tea
0: mm-hmm.
1: but brew it at two different temperatures or like having the same the same tea made by from the same region made by two different makers like how do you taste different to that like then right. you can get like Really, and people will connect. Like if you have an experience like that, whoever is at the table will be talking like they've been best friends for a really long time because they're really yeah. into this like really nerdy kind of like deep conversation, yeah. and then it can spiral off from there. So education can bring people together, but then at the same time, you can have other people who are like, "I don't taste the difference; it's like something."
0: No, I know because I I was um, uh, the same tea tasting at the one in Flushing. The woman was saying how it's the same plant. Yeah, it's the same like same varietal, same mountain, mm-hmm. same maker same time same season but they just happen to be on different sides of the mountain and made a world of a difference oh yeah right and it's like the the infinite um maybe there is some truth to the Japanese saying the universe is in the in the last, in the last drop time because time you time. literally have yeah. an infinite amount of variations that could happen within this small
1: yeah area. well I think another thing too that um, and this can possibly get us on a whole other tangent that people yeah. you know that I think is really interesting about t2 is that it is um if you're actually getting um, small batch, you know, family farm, small um, production, handmade tea. Yeah. um, It will change year after year. It depends on, you know, the climate, the rainfall, um, you know, what's happening, like, you know, with the soil that, you know, when they're plucking and all these different factors can factor in and it will taste different. So I think a lot of people have a little bit of fear of that being that it's not, it's not uniform as in the sense of like, you know, I mean, food is very much the same way. Like it depends on, the crops of the year right so i think a lot of people will kind of back off of it um or that kind of aspect of tea mm-hmm. because they want uniformity or they want to know that like okay i'm buying this one yeah. and it tastes like this where you might buy this one from 2016 and it tastes like this but you buy this one from 2017 and it tastes like kind of different
0: well i think that's that's exactly why we brought that up. i mean when we collaborated with dinner right that's why i was saying is like the differences is what makes it fun rather than yeah exactly I mean, sure, it's safe. I, mean, I, I get it. Like, uniformity is safe, right? Because if I wanted a certain green tea to taste the same every year, like, I guess there's something to that. But the fact that tea is much more um, accessible compared to wine
1: mm-hmm. in
0: terms of production and, and like, dude, yeah, like, you can't, not everyone can handle even alcohol, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's a case to be made of, of the powers of the tea. Um, before I, I close out with this section that is in every, every podcast, Because I think the challenge with recording this specific episode is, one, we could shoot an entire season on your travels alone. I mean, there's TV shows on this, right? 17 countries, like Anthony Bourdain could do a whole season on 17 countries.
1: Every time I see my grandma, she tells me I should write a book.
0: You should, actually. um, Written on tea leaves. Uh, Or the tea alone. I mean, we spent... I think when I met you, we spent like, what, four hours? I think it was four hours on just the tea. And it wasn't even all tea. It was pu'er, And we had one other one. I think it was one of the reds. And it was like four hours on just that. Yeah. So trying to fit this into a one-hour episode is difficult. Was there something that you wish I had asked?
1: I think we covered a lot of things. Um... Surprisingly,
0: in the amount of time that (laughs) we've been going.
1: Yeah, we did. Um...
0: Or something that you, you wish, like, if everyone could know this one thing about tea or your work, or even your travels, that you wish we had brought up, what would that be?
1: Hmm. Well, I think, and I, we did talk about this, but I think that my biggest point that, like, I would, I would love to kind of, I guess, push and make sure that is known is the fact of this, you know, the whole unifying aspect of tea. Mm -hmm. and the fact that traveling and my experience in that kind of made me appreciate and realize the importance of connecting with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, and this is not something that I really want to get into far, but like, you know, coming home to the political climate of the U S that I came home to, that's something that I feel like is getting farther and farther away from reality for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, it should be the opposite. We should be getting closer together, and you know, being more inquisitive and exploring other people's how people grew up or how you know mm. people's cultures or their traditions or where they come from should be something of excitement for us, rather um, than fear. Rather and... than fear.
0: Now that just brought up another question in my head. Were were you always thinking like that of the, the the this whole idea of like unity, like, or was that recent just because of the circumstances we are in? Where, where did that come from?
1: No, I think that that came a lot from, you know, the fact that I, I mean, what, what I was excited about day in, day out, traveling, and even being in New York, you know, is the fact that more people than, obviously more people than not, like, grew up different than me. Yeah. And, like, even just asking someone questions about, like, how they grew up, or, like, what their parents are like, or what their world is like, it's something that I didn't experience, so... But somebody else did, and mm-hmm. there's something really powerful about connecting with someone and understanding where they come from and understanding like why they are the way they are. And yeah. Yeah. It's always this kind of, I think, this amazing exploration of of each other that I wish that we would all be more cognizant of on a daily basis.
0: Were you raised in that environment of being inquisitive? Because I the. I have a lot of friends who, I mean, we grew up in a pretty diverse place in Saudi Arabia, but there were times where it was easy to take that for granted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, that honestly, inquisitiveness...
1: where I grew up was not very diverse. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, very much suburbia. Um, and, but I always, I mean, I was like, even as a kid, I was like, you know, writing my parents presentations about like why they should send me to like this place to go do this thing. And they have no idea where I came from to want to do this. 15 writing why they should send me to Fiji to learn about like reefs and my yeah. parents like who are you
0: <laughs> that that makes me feel bad because i think the only thing i ever wrote to my parents is like a like a hey here's a proposal was for them to buy me like a ps like a station <laughs> that's the only thing i've ever put work into as a presentation like dad you need to get me
1: oh this. yeah i know i would like <laughs> shit, i should have written whole things and be like this is why you should like send me here and like you know my family is very i grew up i was very fortunate in the fact that like my whole family lived within a few towns around me yeah. Uh, like all my cousins, my grandparents, um, we're all very close. Okay. So I don't really know where that kind of idea where I'm just constantly curious and fascinated by others um, came from. But that's kind of what sparked my love of travel yeah. in a way. More than just like, sure, you can go to these beautiful places. You can go see a waterfall like that's gorgeous and whatever. And you can... Completely forget where you are if there's no cultural context of people, and it doesn't really matter if people aren't involved. To me, yeah, um, it's not that it doesn't matter. That's not true. But like, it wouldn't make a difference if I was in Indonesia or if I was in, you know, in Colombia or if I was in somewhere in Africa. Like, there's no. If I'm seeing a waterfall, that's beautiful and wonderful. But I can close my eyes and I can be that waterfall could be anywhere. No, a waterfall it's is a waterfall that, is a
0: waterfall, right? Yeah, it's water flowing over a rock.
1: That make it's the people in the culture that makes a place where it is
0: yeah i think who was it pico air the the travel writer i think he was like uh, the the only piece you find at the top of the mountain is the one that you bring up there or something like that
1: oh that's nice yeah like so that. it's kind of well yeah.
0: uh, obviously it's kind of related here where it's um i mean if you're going to a mountain and bringing all your baggage up there it's just like everywhere else you, yeah. you know what i mean you yeah could totally be in the apartment in new york
1: and i think yeah and i think that that was a That was something that I needed to be diligent reminding myself of traveling Um, because there is a community of people from all over the world that do travel long term and you can get into the world of that and then kind of forget where you are. So you're kind of with, you know, all foreigners from all over the world. You could be like six people from six different countries, but None of those people are from where you are, and you're not really in the world. that the, you're The the long term
0: travelers, yeah. There's uh, there was a great article that just came out the other day, obviously on the negative side of like the disaster tourist, right? There's That's that, thing, and then yeah. um, I think the one the book that I really like for for its positive aspects is the Vag- vagabonding.
1: I haven't read that, but it's yeah. always been on my list of so things to read. Oh,
0: fantastic yeah. book! It, it's really what got me even thinking of like travel is possible. Mm-hmm. Like the, the barriers that we put up are really solvable yeah um okay so this next section is uh a list of questions i've asked every guest in the show the questions are short but your answers to them don't have to be okay cool okay so person who most influenced you with what you're doing today on the t side
1: Hmm. i don't know if i could really relate it to one person um,
0: and it doesn't have to be someone who's working in tea by the way it could be someone who sparked that inquisitive nature in you I don't know what. it's just uh, the coalescence of your work
1: well I think I mean I think it's always been ingrained in me from my parents that like I don't need to take the you know I've always struggled with um, and this is kind of personal but I've always struggled with the idea that like you know From where I come from, a lot of times people, you know, you graduate high school, you go to college, you go after college, you go, you know, you move to primarily New York City, but like to a city, you get a nine to five job, you do this, you do that. And then, you know, by the time you're 27, 28, you're getting married, you have your kid by 30, 31, and then you're kind of like, you know, move back to the suburbs (laughs) and it's this kind of path. Yeah. Um, And something that I've always been like, that's not what I want to do. And the fact that my parents have always been like, okay, that's cool. If you don't want to do that, then like,
0: what you don't want to do. Yeah. do
1: something else. Um, there's no reason why you need to do that. Um, and so I think having them being the support of, you know, not reminding me that this path that I noticed in, you know, the world kind of before I had left or that I went to school with, that route wasn't the only option. Mm-hmm. I think was a big inspiration for me to be like, okay, I'm going to drop everything and travel and then come home and be like, okay. I'm going to essentially drop everything again and start my own business.
0: Yeah.
1: And that, yeah, I guess that probably would be my, the fact that they've constantly through that been like, this is, you know, this choice that you're making, that's awesome. Like you yeah. should go do that.
0: I think there's, there's a, a lot of credit to your parents for saying, Okay. Or making that up. I think it
1: took them a lot of. (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) if I
0: was in their place, like I would also, you know, I I would have a big barrier, but I I only, I bring, I'm bringing this story up because we've actually worked with him, but um, Josh, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't know if I told you this, but uh, people at the dinners were asking, like, is he some kind of prodigy or Mm -hmm. like, well, what's so special about this kid and why is he so good or whatnot? I'm like, honestly, if you ask him, because we've also interviewed him for the show, the biggest thing he credits it to is the fact that his parents said, yeah, sure. You yeah. Know, and the, the power in that, I'm sure it took them a lot. Sure. But the fact that they said, yeah, that is an option for you.
1: It's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, I think it goes in my world for my parents. It goes against anything that they ever could have, you know, when I when they took me home from the hospital. I don't think it was anything they ever thought was like an option, you know, for their child, become like, an <laughs> adult, that I would be on this road. Um,
0: on 25-hour buses.
1: But, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my dad, very funny, he was very much not okay in the beginning with, not very much not okay, but he was very worried about, you know, his only daughter being out in the world by myself. And yeah. I would come back with all these stories.
0: That were, were places that were not that like Paris. Were,
1: yeah. And that, but then kind of as I was going and I would always send them photos, like I, they were very involved in my experience. I wasn't just like gone and, yeah. And, So I would send them photos and I would send them where I was and all these stories. And then kind of a couple months in, you know, he's like with a couple of his friends and I'm FaceTiming him and like showing him the room that I, the private room that I have to myself with a balcony on a gorgeous, like, you know, roaring river somewhere in the middle of the forest. I'm like, guess how much I'm paying for this dad? Like $3 for the night. Get out of here. And my dad's like showing all his friends being like, (laughs) look where my daughter is. Look how cool this is. So the mindset definitely changed. Like as he saw that like this is. Yeah a thing that people do and it's okay yeah but then they definitely were like, kind of like excitedly living vicariously through me i think
0: sometimes it takes a little you know the options go both ways right next question best tea related tool you've purchased ever
1: oh best tea related tool my kettle
0: the one that the Bonavita.
1: yeah okay Perfect. Um, and I
0: will include a link for that. Is it is it because of the the, the temp control function? The control,
1: yeah. Okay. Um, and the ability that now I'm able to like really explore like what a couple degrees do or like what you know I kind of can like get really really granular in it.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's always on. Like that's something my dad jokes. Whenever I'm home, the first thing I do when I walk in is like I fill up the kettle, I put the kettle on, and he's like, "Oh, Polly, put the kettle on!" <laughs> and, like every time I walk in the door, it goes on. Um, I mean, I have like a lot of really great teaware that I'm um, really Emotionally attached to. Um, yeah. I'm the crazy one that has like an entire, you know, shelf of different teawares for different teas. it's very specific. But I would say the best one, that thing that I have, is the kettle. It's I think after
0: we're, we're we're done recording, if you want to send me like a links to if someone wanted to put together like a basic tea set. Yeah. I could in- include that on top of the um, the tea kettle. Yeah. Okay. Uh. You, so usually this question, I would say to people, three ingredients to best describe you. But since we've been talking about teas this whole time i'll give you the option so it's either three ingredients to best describe you or three teas whichever you think is oh more um, interesting to answer
1: it's funny i'm thinking ingredients i'm just like thinking all the food that i want to eat
0: <laughs> yeah that's cool <laughs> but, too um
1: hmm. maybe three maybe we'll go for three teas okay so I would say I, well, it's kind of a larger category, but Taiwanese high mountain oolongs are okay. very floral and they're very bright. Um, and they're very, you know, it's something that you drink in and it's something that you're surprised by. Um, those are things that I guess I would love to continue to work on being. Is yeah. something that, you know, when you, you have an experience or you, taste it, it's something that's like, I didn't expect that to come out of this. Okay. Um, that would probably be one. Another tea. Hmm. Gong Mai is a Chinese white tea. Um, it's kind of gingery, um, a little spicy, but still kind of sweet which actually now saying that makes me feel weird that I'm saying that about me, but that's not where <laughs> I'm getting out with this. That's but the point of the question, I... <laughs> But I think that it's also very, I mean, it's like spicy in the sense of like ginger, kind of like comforting, warm, like, you know, the spices that you'd like to fill your house with with food kind of thing. Sure. But I think it's very warm and comforting. Um, that's another thing that I guess I would like to be. And then I guess third, I would say ripe right puers. Ripe right, puers are a style of puer. Um, Chinese puers that are very earthy. They're very deep. It's kind of like you want to be transported to a cabin in the woods yeah. with like old books, kind of musty <laughs> and like. This is such you know. an
0: eloquent answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is now just when you're talking about teas. Yeah. Um, you get kind of this, yeah, you get this really like deep woodsy, kind of um, homey, sitting by the fire tea yeah um kind of feeling and yeah i like love that feeling so that
0: would be my 13 <laughs> yo see you've just changed how i look at puers because i just see them as a really funky digestives you know what i
1: mean yeah well so there's two different types so you know yeah. that there's the yeah, ripe the, and raw ripe, yep. um and their flavors are totally different but yeah, yeah. oh puers to me ripe Pueras to me are like you
0: know, now just now i'm just thinking of cabins and the... old books yes. You're right um if you had to recommend one book or documentary or resource for the common person, for them to just be better, you know, like be a better person in life, what would it be?
1: Be a better person in life? Yeah. Um, that's hard. I feel like I read so much and then I read them and I'm like, oh, that was amazing. Everyone in the world needs to know about this book. And then I get <laughs> asked this question and I blank. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I really liked... And I read this while I was traveling, so I think maybe that also is something that um, sparked me. But I read the Geography of Bliss, and I don't remember who the author is. I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The Geography of Bliss is about um, the happiest countries and people and cultures of the world, and this guy kind of goes around and and talks about different cultures and you know what is happiness and what is. um, And it kind of, I guess, sounds a little more gimmicky than it than it actually the book comes off to being, but um, it's a great. It's a very accessible read also. It's not something that's like super, super heavy and deep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with that one. (laughs) I will
0: look for the author and link it up. Uh, Let's say for all your teas, you now have one tea branded packaging Mm -hmm. and you had one tagline underneath to encapsulate all of your work and what you're trying to do. What would that tagline say?
1: Oh. You know, I was trying to think about this when I actually was like, I need a tagline. And I couldn't think of anything. Because I go off into these tangents that are more like full-on conversations. I'm like, well, that's not a tagline, that's an entire conversation. <laughs> well, no, conversation. have
0: you seen the Dr. Bronner soaps? Like, oh, Homeboy yeah. wrote, like, an entire <laughs> no. novel on them. And there was one time where I asked this question to someone on the on the show, and they, uh, they spat out an entire paragraph. It was still a sentence, though, because they just put a bunch of comments in the <laughs> sentence. But they managed. I was like, wow, that's impressive. It's that's very, really impressive.
1: Very thought out. Um... I think it would be something along the lines of, you know, reminding that I hope, I hope this cup of tea reminds you to, um, okay, I'm going in a different direction. Okay. I think I would say like seeing the world through a cup of tea. As a way to kind of like using tea as a, yeah, as a way to explore other cultures and,
0: you know. Explore people.
1: Other people and parts of the world that maybe if you never go to, you at least have this little snippet of their world in yours.
0: That's awesome. I like that.
1: Yeah, that worked. (laughs) That
0: that just might be the tagline. Uh, Last question is purely logistical. Mm -hmm. Where can people follow your story?
1: So I have a website. Uh, My website is one t o n e dot c o okay um i'm also on instagram at one t dot c o um that's probably the best way to Wait, at,
0: one dot co? at one t c o at
1: one o n e t e a yeah. dot c o
0: on instagram as well yeah okay uh that's it so instagram and website yeah okay see that wasn't too hard no was that was like
1: great first podcast
0: cool. and we managed to drink tea and i'm not drunk yeah because uh yeah next time i'll make sure I'll, I'll make sure that next time other drink episodes are gonna are gonna be as calming and as easy as this one. Maybe we'll even videotape it. Thanks again for yeah, being the show. Course, Maybe um, if we, I think if there's a way for me to get feedback on the show, I think there there's a lot of parts of this that people will want to follow up on, especially like the travel or being. Yeah. You know how do you how do you create these spaces that unite people? But perhaps that will be an episode.
1: Three. Well, also, I mean i'm happy to and i do do this in my day-to-day like i have friends of friends or people that i've met somewhere along the way that will yeah. you know be planning a trip or have questions about this or have questions about that travel yeah. related or tea related i get direct messages like all the time about it so oh by the way what's wanna... email oh, or do so... you not use
0: do you prefer direct message on
1: no email's fine too okay. um my email is just cynthia my name at one t dot co
0: perfect i hear people walking down the hallway so with that <laughs> said i'm gonna stop this recording